Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 203 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get into the episode right after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first, and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. For the first time in a while, I have quite a bit of fun travel coming up this summer, and I'm really counting on Macy's to help round out my wardrobe for some of these trips. Right now, I've got my eye on a new bag and sandals from Coach and some super cute tops and dresses from Macy's On 34th brand. And you can never really have too many pairs of sunglasses. And there are a lot of cute options to explore right now. If you need a little help getting your summer look together, shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. You may have heard that most people who are black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills. Never-ending food festivals, 
fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures in Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. Today I'm joined by Dr. G for an important conversation to help us dig a little deeper into gender and gender expression. Dr. G is a non-binary, queer, first-generation Afro-Caribbean and serves as a licensed psychologist, writer, Buddhist chaplain, death doula, yoga nidra teacher, spiritual creative, and public speaker. Dr. G's healing work centers the liberation within intersectional identities of Black, Indigenous, and people of color and their living or transitioned ancestors. Doc engages the intersections of topics such as grief, death and dying, liminal spaces, race, gender, identity, meditation, trauma, and somatic healing. Dr. G and I chatted about the differences between sex and gender identity, destigmatizing gender expression in the Black community, some of the common misconceptions about non-binary people, and strategies for supporting kids in their gender expression. If there's something that resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. G. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be in conversation with you. Yes, it is. I'm so glad that you were able to squeeze us into your schedule. I mean, I would love for you to start by just telling us a little bit about yourself as well as your practice and what brought you into the field of psychology. Sure. Um, I would delight to. Well, I'm a first-generation Afro-Caribbean genderqueer being. and I am a writer, I'm a psychologist, I'm a public speaker, I'm a Buddhist chaplain. I always tell people, if it's something to do with liminal space, if it's about liberation, then that's what I center and that's what I do. So my clinical practice focuses much on the liberation of BIPOC and LGBTQ minds. And so that will look like somatic work, existential work, Afrocentric work. I mean, I do a lot of trauma-informed work, and I've been doing that for the last Oh, over 15 years at this point. We just stopped counting after 10. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So a lot of the people who find their way to me seem to be change makers, activists, and then people who really appreciate the process of growth and transformation, not just within their own lives, but intergenerationally. You know, I'm always just so inspired by how people in psychology kind of just make their own spaces and like Mm. figure out how to use what we've been taught, but then transform it, you know, Mm -hmm. for communities that are not typically what we're trained on. And so I would love to hear like how you've been able to kind of do continuing education or other work that has allowed you to like expand your practice in this way. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was really blessed for the school that I went to. I went to the Chicago School of Professional Psychology in Chicago, and they were so community-based. And so I, from there, learned to just go to the community to learn about whomever and what what wasn't covered in school. So I always say 50% of my grad school learning was outside, just going to conferences, going to meetings sometimes just even going to religious institutions and just meeting people. I learned a lot just by hearing people's stories. And, and that was to fill out 
what wasn't covered, I feel like in traditional like doctoral level programs. And I found that that was where the difference was. I would often go to continuing education events that were held by counselors and social workers because they were more community-based. I found that they had more interest in intersections of people's identities than did a traditional doctoral program. So going to those conferences was really how I flushed out a lot of my learning. And I create my own path. I'm just a person who doesn't follow necessarily where APA may be following because I realize that they're way behind the times. And so I just create my own path. I'm like, these people don't have a voice at the table. I want to learn about them. I'm going to find out. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And do you do any kind of supervision or like helping younger people in the profession to kind of follow that path or a similar path? You know, that is a place of transition that's starting to happen right now. These last couple of years, you know, becoming middle career and really sitting and thinking about that there isn't that available for us and for particularly I can't handle all of the clients that I see who are black uh, or BIPOC and especially BIPOC and queer at that intersection. And so a lot of people all over the country will contact me, especially now that things have opened up with regard to these COVID pandemic times. And so I said, I can't service all y'all like, and I want to. Um, (laughs) So I've been thinking about what would this path that I'm doing and have done look like as a model for other people. So that's, in the works. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know, I'm sure that there is a huge need for it, right? Because of these reasons, because Mm -hmm. like we talked about, you don't, you don't get these kinds of trainings often in grad school. 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that much of your work is really helping people to kind of figure out identity. And so I'd love for you to just maybe start a lot of your work focuses on gender identity and helping people to really kind of express themselves in the fullness of who they are. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times we can get really caught up in like the definitions and a lot of people like really get stuck here and I think it gets really confusing for a lot of people when we're trying to have these conversations so can you kind of just start us at the like basic levels um, (laughs) in terms of like the definition between like sex and gender identity sure I would delight in that I will say that just as an umbrella anyone who's working with me or conversing with me knows that I will define something and dismantle it all in the same conversation. Love it. So I will try to, as best as possible, stick to <laughs> the definition as a grounding point for people. But I think in the spirit of understanding even just identity, knowing that our identities change, sometimes moment to moment, day to day, is really important to who I am and how I understand the work. So I just want to make that statement <laughs> before we go into definitions. So First, when we talk about someone's sex, we're speaking about what genitalia and chromosomes they were born with at the time of birth. And when we speak about someone's gender identity, we're really speaking about someone's internal sense of their gender, like who they feel that they are. And that falls on a spectrum. Oftentimes, when we think about just gender in its entirety, we are often just thinking about male or female. And oftentimes, it's referring to someone's sex. But we're beginning to really learn that gender is a multi-pronged definition. It is far beyond just what our sex is at birth. 
I want to go back to your comment around identity changing from moment to moment, because I don't know that that is something I've heard discussed in that way, though I totally get it when I hear you say it, right? And I wonder if you can kind of just expound on that, because I think we tend to think about identity as, you know, relatively fixed, Mm -hmm. but you're saying that can change. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. You know, one of our earliest constructs, and this will kind of lead into how we speak about different gender identities when I start to talk about transgender identity and particularly non-binary gender identity, is that, you know, one of our earliest constructs, you know, the ways that we define ourselves as a people is gender. You know, you think about when someone comes into the world, the first thing we're like, oh, is it a boy or a girl? Mm -hmm. Right. And it gives, I feel like constructs give us reference points and reference points for whatever reason, I only have this American society to kind of go by, become very solidified. And they become the markers of how we learn what we can do, what our roles might be. And so from very early on, from you think about it, from the moment you were born, you are being put in an identity box, right? And that box has roles. And those roles define how you might move in society. And how you move in society depends on what mobility you might have and where you have access, right? And so for whatever reason, we have become very stuck on this binary as a people. And it has not allowed a lot of room for innately what is existence in nature. You know, it exists in plants, it exists in animals, a sense of a spectrum that we're never 100% male and 100% female or 100% adhering to the roles that we have constructed for those sex identities. What do you think is so threatening for people, especially since you're giving examples of, you know, how this exists in multiple areas of life? What do you think is so threatening for people to really be able to appreciate that things are not 100% anyway? I feel like, and this is just my opinion, I think people really like certainty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think about how, and our brain in and of itself is function on a sense of efficiency, you know, where we can kind of have a sense of what something is, like I can look at something that has four legs and a flat top and say that's a table. And we can generalize that so that every day when I'm moving through my home, I don't have to like stop and look at this thing and renegotiate what it is, like really just being questioned, like, huh, it has four legs, look at that, it's got a a flat top, I wonder what it could be. That process actually takes time. And, you know, in American society is about efficiency. Mm. And our minds are also about efficiency. And so I don't think anybody really likes uncertainty or not knowing. It causes just a little bit of anxiety, which I think is normal for just our human existence, because we don't know everything. But the more that we can make known or that we can think are known, the less anxiety that we experience, both on an existential level and maybe more for other people. So we extend that to people, you know? So I know, Dr. Joy, you look like this, you sound like this, then I can just keep that fix in my mind and I don't have to guess anymore who you might be the next time you call me up, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? You know? But what that does is it leaves out that we inherently change as a people. We're not still in diapers and, you know, and eating baby food. We change, we grow, we learn, we get exposed to things, we are influenced. 
We learn about ourselves. So all of that indicates that we are changing beings, but for whatever reason, perhaps just to minimize that like existential anxiety of not knowing, we ascribe things to very fixed conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I appreciate you putting it in the context of efficiency, because I do think that that is how we often move through life, right? Like, okay, I want to quickly know this answer and move on, but it does prevent us, I think, from actually getting to know people, which mm-hmm. is, you know, of course, a lot of what I'm sure your work is about is like actually taking the time to get to know people as opposed to thinking about who or what they might be based on something that you are likely incorrect about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love for you to go more into talking about the binary, Um, you know, so we do know that people will sometimes identify as transgender and then other people will identify as non-binary. Can you talk about the differences? Sure, of course. I would love to just also make a reference. I'm a very visual person. And for those out there who are visual learners, there's a reference called the gingerbread person. And this is a visual that talks about gender as a spectrum but it also includes gender identity, gender expression, which is one's assigned gender roles, mannerisms, and their interests and behaviors that tend to align with along the spectrum of male or female. And I think, and also attraction and sexual orientation. And I just really think that when we're new to these words and terminologies, it's really helpful to have a visual representation of what these definitions look like. So I just want to make that, that note. When we speak about transgender, you know, transgender and non-binary are often used synonymously, but they are different. And so I want to distinguish between the two. So transgender people are people whose gender identity, like their internal sense of who they are, differs from the sex assigned at birth, right? So it's nothing to do with a person's sexual orientation as being heterosexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, or asexual, right? but has to do with how they feel about themselves, who they know themselves to be, and the body that they were assigned with at birth. And oftentimes those who identify as transgender do identify as being male or female. So that's transgender. Non-binary now, I would distinguish as his own gender identity. And this identity, I think, causes the most dissonance for people because they have a lot of prejudices around people and identities being fluid. So these are people who are neither, you know, male or female and don't fit into either box. They may flow or they may not identify with any gender at all or their gender changes over time. So you might hear non-binary used synonymously with words like genderqueer, bigender, agender, but that's what the difference is there. And again, it has nothing to do with who they're attracted to sexually. That can still be a person who is non-binary, can still be heterosexual, lesbian, gay, and so on. And is gender non-conforming another term for non-binary or is that something different? Something different. So slight nuance. So Gender nonconforming speaks to, when I was speaking about gender roles in the beginning, mm-hmm. it speaks to not conforming specifically to a certain gender role or the gender stereotypes or how they may express oneself. So you might hear tomboys or maybe a female body being liking to wear suits. You know, that doesn't 
adhere to how we've defined the gender normative as only male body peoples wear suits. So it's about the stereotypes, bending stereotypes in expression. Ah, okay. So it it is more closely related to like a gender expression. Mm -hmm. Got Mm -hmm. it. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More from my conversation with Dr. G right after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve, and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API Scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. 
When you donate blood, there is a direct positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again, and happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from zip lining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, like about gender expression, specifically in the black community. You know, I think that at times, not all the time, but I think at times there has been a little bit more leeway for people to kind of show up however they want to look. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about like the gender expression in the black community and any stigma that you feel like we still need to work towards getting rid of. I find that now like working backwards, that now we're, Black peoples as a whole are becoming more connected with their African identities and their lineage and understanding where we came from. There's an understanding that gender expression and the fluidity of that expression has existed for millennia. And so, you know, when we talk about indigenous cultures, you know, in Nigeria, Yandadu, they were maybe assigned male at birth, but they dressed in a traditionally female garb and they're accepted even a lot of spiritual paths will, will allow for gen- different gender expressions, same-sex relationships are condoned. And South Africa right now in general is being is leading the way in as far as Black culture is concerned in accepting and allowing and legalizing same-sex relations and, you know, and adoption. So it's really to show like this has been how we have moved for quite some time. And I think that when we speak about our history here in America, how these contracts have gotten hardened, how that like history has been separated from us and our identity or not as visible in us and our identities because much of what we experience here in the Americas is crafted along a white construct. And a white construct has eliminated a lot of our history and has defined us in the way that they want to define us. So we see this in our institutions and so on. So that's just what we're seeing and what's visible all the time. And so it's very easy, I think, for people to forget that, oh, no, we do express ourselves in different ways. When I think about the arts, you know, when I think about music and other spaces, and especially when we start to speak about religion, I find that that is usually the space where 
there's much more rigidity around acceptance of gender expression in, in the Black community. And, you know, it's all a work in progress. Some communities, spiritual communities, are more accepting or beginning to understand the harm that can be caused in rejecting our Black brothers and sisters and beings. And so there's more inclusion and more discussion about how to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, Dr. G, about how we can continue to push that. Like, what suggestions do you have for how we can move beyond the binary? Mm-hmm. One, knowing our roots. As I mentioned, the history is there. Just studying where one comes from is super important in understanding that this is a part of who we are, that we do run. We're fluid beings. That's a part of our human experience to be as such. And then also nature, you know, sometimes people don't want to be so personal. And I've told people, look at what nature does. You know, tomato plants are by nature, they could be male, they could be female, they could be neither. Like this way of being is natural as well. Um, And educating ourselves. I just feel that educating and having conversation with one another is where we find out that we need to come together as a Black community because regardless if we are non-binary, transgender, or whether we're heterosexual or cisgender, meaning our sex at birth is aligned with who we feel we are, we're still a Black community and we're at risk for some of the same inequities in this, especially in this country, that others are. And so we need one another. We need to understand each other's stories to know how we can be co-conspirators in having liberated, equitable ways of life. Mm -hmm. So we talked a little earlier about, you know, like why people often feel so threatened by people who, you know, exist wherever on the spectrum. But I'd love to hear also like any common misconceptions you think people have related to non-binary people. Mm -hmm. There's a feeling that those who identify as non-binary are confused and they just haven't made up their mind. And again, this goes back to the expectation that we have to choose an identity that things have to be on the binary and an either or kind of way of being. There's, as I mentioned before, in defining transgender and non-binary, some people feel that transgender people are non-binary as well, or that if you identify as either non-binary or transgender, that automatically means that you identify as being gay or lesbian. You know, so one's sexual orientation is assumed based on their gender identity. So that's often a fallacy. And then, again, along the lines of confusion, most people will confuse non-binary with being intersex. And intersex, I haven't defined, but intersex is when your anatomy or your genes at birth don't fit the typical definitions of being male or female. While a non-binary person's genes and anatomy are synchronous with either being male or female at birth. So terminology, again, we get wrapped up in terms and assume one is the other, or when we don't know, we assume everything is in one box and we don't ask questions. And so I feel that often leads to the most misconceptions is just saying, I don't know what any of that means. So they all must be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I don't know, let me try to figure it out. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> but let me ask a question. It's okay right. to not know. <laughs> right, right. 
But you know, I think that brings up another point of like, if you don't know, how do you get this information? Because I think some people like want to try to directly ask someone and that may be okay, depending on like what relationship you have with that person. But we also shouldn't expect that people will just share their personal stories with us just because we ask. So Mm -hmm. where can people maybe find information, you know, like to find out more or to have a better understanding? Well, one, I will say, I do want to challenge that, that we always ask each other's names, mm-hmm. right? You know, if I don't know you, just like, you know, when we met, I said, hey, how would you like to be addressed? You know, what pronouns do you use? I don't want to assume, right? And so there's, there's no harm in that. You're already creating a very exclusive space and environment by just asking a person. And you'd be surprised how much a person's willing to share if you have the intention of just wanting to know. So I don't want to minimize that as a way because personal stories allow our intersectional identities. Many people that I work with are both Black and non-binary and, you know, an immigrant and, you know, so to get those ands in, sometimes a lot of the literature that's out there doesn't cover that. So we need each other's stories. So I really want to drive home how important that is. But very like popular sites and spaces that you can go or like the National Center for Trans Equality, the Human Rights Center has a plethora of things available for just increasing your knowledge. And for those who are parents who are wanting to support their youth, and I I name this too because sometimes people believe that uh, gender identity is something that is a phase and perhaps kids will grow out of it or figure it out and be on the binary. And, And that's not the case. We know who we are very young (laughs) as under two years old I mean three years old we're already knowing who we are and I think that that's a construct too that's that we're honoring children more and so really being able to be a citizen and a being who's able to witness and then offer support for our children is really important so HRC also offers supporting services and articles for caring for our transgender children And, you know, and sometimes therapy can be helpful. And again, that's why a lot of people come to me because I'm, you know, the 1% of the 5% of the 3%, you know, (laughs) um, identity. And so the National Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network also offers, you know, servant therapists who can look like them. We have a, a shared story or some shared experience that can be so resonant and affirming. And that is often, you know, the rejection that, trans and non-binary people's experience from their families, from schools, from institutions, for people in their own community, often that's what sets off a lot of the predispositions for for just poor mental health and poor resiliency. And and that and just being affirming can be so helpful in -hmm. a person's development. You know, just saying, hey, yes, I hear you. And that's why I don't want to minimize that because that's what makes a world of a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to stay with the idea of children for just a second, Dr. G, sure. and hear more of your thoughts about how we can honor a child's expression of themselves, no matter how young they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. One of the things that I, I have to make a distinction of like Black parenting, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> because there is a way that and I don't want to make a broad-based statement, but I'll use my own example where you're very much, your, you belong to your family. Mm-hmm. And 
and they craft you. <laughs> and so it's almost like you are not your own person. <laughs> and in that way, I think that already we're starting with a limitation because I know even from my own process, my family said, I didn't raise you to be like this. And that can be hard to view parenting as a path of surrender, that like our role is not to make many versions of, of ourselves um, but rather to really see fully who these beings are that come into the world and to support them to the fullness of their beings. So very simple. And again, like I said, it starts early that we impose this construct on our children of being of a certain, adhering to certain gender norms. So just, they may come up with a name that they prefer to be called. Call them that name, you know, or any pronouns that they use. Use those pronouns always always, just as Black peoples, we should understand how our ability to name ourselves has been taken away from us. So it's really powerful to be called who you are. And stay positive. If you don't know, you know, as a parent, and often we don't know a lot, be okay with not knowing and going into educate yourself rather than rejecting, you know? So firm support, listen. There's a plethora, I feel like, of books right now that are speaking to the positive legacies that decenter whiteness, but really center the narratives of Black LGBTQ peoples. And often many of them have been like leaders of our most prominent movements, our most prominent writers, like Marsha P. Johnson and Alicia Garza and Angela Davis, Jean Baldwin. You know, we have positive legacies of what, you know, queer LGBTQ Blackness can look like, you know? And so let's read those stories to our children, right? Let's read about them. The comment around like belonging to your family, I think that is so powerful um, Mm. because I do think that that is what trips a lot of parents up because if your child comes to you with, you know, a proclamation of who they are that doesn't fit with who you think they are or Mm -hmm. who they should be, then Mm -hmm. I think that there's all this work that the parent has to do like to like break their own stereotypes in their head before they can even see their child for who they are. So it really feels like you need to start having these conversations. That's why it's so important, I think, kind of broadly to be Mm -hmm. making space for all identities so that you don't have all of that work to do when your child comes to you and says, this is the name I prefer. A hundred percent. I mean, because the children are listening. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're listening. And I think an HRC report indicated like 77% of youth have heard their family say something negative about Mm. LGBTQ peoples, right? So if I hear that, myself included, why would I come to them and say, hey, this is who I am, right? And so just that rejection alone increases the risk of like 90% of kids have sleep disturbance. So you know what that does with development. It doesn't help it. You know, they're depressed. They're more likely later on to like, experience verbal abuse, physical abuse. And we've seen that most at risk are like black trans women who get killed, right? Right. Because they did not have people who were affirming and they ended up in in houseless situations, under-resourced, under-supported. So yeah, it is, I know, a challenge for everyone to work with difference, but these are our kids. These are our kids. And this is in many ways preventable based on these stats that if we can just do this work of redefining what, you know, being parents and supportive caregivers means, Mm -hmm. it's transformative. We are saving lives. 
Yeah. And not just, you know, as parents, but I think about like the media responsibility, you know, because even if you don't necessarily hear your parents say things that are derogatory, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember there was a super cute book. I forget the name now about a little boy who was a mermaid. Do you know that book? Mm-mm. No, I, I, think, that one. I think it came out recently but I think like a teacher tried to teach it in the classroom and there was all this uproar right mm. and you, you know so you see educators you know who are trying to like have these conversations and normalize that you know yes of course boys can be mermaids or whatever and then there's all this pushback right so even if you don't hear it in your home sometimes you yeah. hear about it on the news so that's something else to be careful of a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah it's and it's everywhere it's just a I feel like a very different, I'm glad you mentioned the media. It's just a very different time than I, when I grew up. Like, I mean, these kids have access and technology is going 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? At least we got a break, you know, school's <laughs> done, we went home, right. right? You know, but I mean, they are inundated and I really feel that the media needs to take more responsibility with the impact that they have on the lives of our beings, mm-hmm. right? More from my conversation with Dr. G right after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online, 
or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again. And happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from zip lining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. Do you work a lot with younger people, Dr. G? Oh, not as much anymore. I feel like in mentorship, but not as much in my private practice. Ah, mm-hmm. got it. I was going to mm-hmm. ask around, you know, I feel like TikTok is one of those spaces where 100%. younger people are, you know, sharing their stories, you mm-hmm. know, and, and really being able to kind of find your community in a space mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that, I think is really going to be transformative. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I wonder if every generation feels like this, but I really trust the generations that are coming up. I just feel like I just need to clear the path for them mm-hmm. and allow them to just be because they are creating an expansive language and a way of being for us to exist in. And I mean, that's the beauty of the human existence, right? Is to be expansive yes. and to not be fixed. We, you know, so I, I love, I love listening to them. Yes, I'm on all the social medias because <laughs> I'm learning from them too. We're right. continuous learning. I'm like, oh, there's another word for this. There's another <laughs> word for this. This is wonderful. It's emergent. It's organic. Like yeah. that's, that is a humanity to be emergent and organic. It's a nice space for, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like some of the defensiveness 
kind of kicks in for people when you see younger generations kind of coming up with new terminologies, right? But I think <laughs> it's, it's important to know that like this has happened time and time again. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you're being pushed aside, but it but can you make space, right? Like can mm-hmm. you stand together as opposed to like trying to shut their voices up or not make space for them? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that that challenges at least like how I was raised and what I hear about a lot of other Black families. And I was, I'm just speaking to Black families because that is my reference point. But I've heard this with other BIPOC peoples as well, is that, you know, our respect for elders, you know, comes with a, a need to like almost acquiesce to their mm-hmm. ways of being because they're not allowing space, right? And it becomes very hierarchical. And unfortunately, you know, you have to wait for that person to pass for something to open. It shouldn't have to be like that. Right. Um, and so I think that is a challenge to how, you know, we viewed our, our way of creating family, you know, and we see this in the church as well, like how we create a hierarchy of who do we listen to and that, that the others are powerless or don't have space at the table to speak. But I really feel like when we allow space, and this is a dialogue across generations, and that's what I really try to foster in my writing, is that this is a continuous dialogue across generations that leads to change and more space opening. Mm-hmm. So you shared a little bit of this earlier, just in terms of like how we can be more inclusive, even in very small ways, right? So things like asking people their pronouns. Are there other tips that you can share about how we can be more inclusive in our language and in creating spaces? Yeah, you know, as best as you can, one can, you know, suspending assumptions. And I often indicate that with with youth, with people around bathrooms and spaces, just having gender neutral bathrooms that causes a lot of anxiety for people. Calling people by their names, oftentimes you'll hear people name um, their dead name or their old names. So just ask what their name is now, I and mean, that's all that should matter. Don't say, "Hey, what was your name before?" <laughs> mm-hmm. None of that. Just leave that be. What's now is what is. Yeah, and again, talking to people advocating, educating yourself. It's really important, just as we have talked about with regard to race, to not put the burden on the person to educate you. You could ask questions and also go and find out stuff for yourself. Go in there's support groups like PFLAG, you know, for parents and other peoples who are allies and support. There are spaces for you too. So to also educate and do that for yourself. How do you foster that same sense of inclusion in something like paperwork, like paperwork you might give a client to complete before a session? I mean, I do all things. Mm -hmm. I do always leave an other blank because I do think that it represents for me the space of what is emergent. And Mm -hmm. I can't keep up with what's I'm not as young (laughs) as hip as I used to be, to be honest. Right. So I think that that allows me to learn like, okay, this is what someone wishes to call themselves. Unicorn, sir. I call myself doc. People think it's because I'm a doctor. I'm like, no, that's my indigenous healing like name. You know, like mm. it's because he, she, zer, there are other pronouns that people have come up with that are used. It doesn't fit me. Those don't mm-hmm. fit me. So I create my own. And so the, just allowing space for that on forms is awesome. You know, I think the more progressive people are around saying male, female, non-binary or gender queer is including those terms at best is mm. is really helpful. They is quite safe to use. And I feel like many people use they for those who identify as non-binary. I mean, if they doesn't work, you ask and be humble to be corrected. 
I think that that's the other piece that's the hardest part for people is that they, you know, everyone, you know, if they, if people are really trying, they may use something and it may not be what fits for a person. And so to be humbled and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, what do you prefer is wonderful. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The being open to correction, I think is really important. Yeah. And I just think that we're at a time when I think this is going to be, as I said, a challenge for some people's is that, yeah, we do develop forms, right? But the forms become obsolete very quickly. So how can we create space in forms for things to be malleable always? Mm -hmm. Is there room for that? And I think that's a very different way of being. But I think that that's the gift of especially people who flow in a non-binary identity is they understand what it means to flow. And Mm -hmm. they understand that things change. So how can you welcome change every day, every moment? I mean, how can we do that in our institutions? How can we do that identities? How can we allow more space? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there anything we haven't covered, Dr. G, that you feel like, oh, I really want people to know more about this or to think about this? I think the one thing, just going back to destigmatizing gender identity or gender expression in the Black community, I really want to drive home that I don't think that we as a Black community would fight over the fact that racism exists and racism is a construct right, that we didn't come up with. Mm-hmm. And that that condition leads to inequities, leads to many of us dying, right, and health inequities and so on. I don't think many people in the Black community would resist that statement. And so I just want to say that gender is right on par with race. It's the same construct that predisposes us to the same inequities if we don't do something about it, if we don't redefine it. Thank you for that. I appreciate you going back to that point. That is important to include. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I name that because I think that's a point of resistance for parents as well. I think when caregivers, well-meaning beings, don't want us to have like one more marginalized identity. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of resistance. Then it's like, oh, you're choosing to be gay or you're choosing to be non-binary. And that's just adding one more risk factor for you. You know, and I've heard that before, but realize that if you choose to reject the person because of their identity, then you're just adding to the problem. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So you've already given us quite a few, it sounds like, <laughs> incredible resources. Are there other resources for people who maybe want to dig deeper into this conversation or need some additional support that you would share? Those are the starting points, I think, for right now. I think the one place I forgot is BEAM as well, Mm. um, Black Emotional Mental Health Collective. They also work with, they're doing a lot on on gender inequities, especially like Black masculinity and just redefining how we look at how we define our community and how can we be more expansive. Mm. Um, So those are what I'm thinking of right now. And I am not most up to date with my children's books, but I also recommend children's books for adults. And I say this because there's a way that children's books are simple, but simplicity is not just base. It is extremely complex and very direct. And so I find that those are really great portals to, for discussion. I've used them as discussion points for other people to name like, okay, like, how can we talk about this matter and use this book as a reference point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that that would be a way to kind of be a bit disarming in a conversation too, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's a children's book. 
Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I like that idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. where can people find you, Dr. G? What is your website as well as any social media handles you'd like to share? Yeah. Yeah. My website is www.quadelglasgow.com. And I'm on Instagram at Garuda Grin, G-A-R-U-D-A-G-R-I-N, or at Liminal G. And I'm on Twitter at Felis CRG. Thank you so much for sharing that. And of course, we will include those in the show notes. I mean, I just want to, for my own information, you mm-hmm. mentioned the word liminal a couple yes. of times. What is that? Liminal is the space in between. Um, so I am a death doula. I'm a yoga nidra teacher. And so with that, we're working with spaces of transition. You know, the time when you, between when you wake and when you fall asleep, the time when you, we finish this conversation and there's a gap and then you move to the next thing. There's something about the spaces in between that I feel that we rush through as a people. And so I really help people to slow down during those times, gain information, learn what's coming up. It's also the space where we have the greatest opportunity for change. And so even within the context of my meditation teaching, we talk about a gap. And the gap is the moment between what you notice and experience with your senses and when you give it labels, right? So in the same way that we're talking about constructs here, there's a moment you see something, you don't know what it is, right? There's a gap and then you fill it in. So I'm like, well, what are we doing with that in-between space? How can we be more expansive in that in-between space to be in a space of questioning and wonder, new experience before we slap on labels and meanings? And that's where I feel like our our nation is at at this moment as well, that Mm -hmm. we have had a disruption and we're at a gap. Things are kind of forming (laughs) back-ish, you know, and we may be slapping back on the same systems that we were using before just so that we can feel a sense of less anxiety and certainty, but that may not be what we need. So can we hang out in the gap? and allow for something else to arise, be in the discomfort and discuss and talk. I, that's part of the magic of change, right? Mm-hmm. What comes from that space. So that's what I mean by liminal. Oh, I love that. I mean, I feel like that is a whole nother episode. Um, <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, like, the, I, I agree with you. As you were talking, I was thinking about that is where we are now as mm-hmm. a country, right? Like this post-pandemic, if you will, that is not quite here yet, mm-hmm. but the rush to to kind of be normal again, right? And yeah. how capitalism really makes it difficult for us to be in that liminal space. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so, yeah, I feel that that's a lot of the work that I'm doing with people right now is, you know, they want some sense of, I understand stability, but I'm being questioned, like, well, what do you want to be stable in? What have you learned? of yourself in this gap of time where capitalism was kind of suspended and, or people came together in a way that you never thought would happen, you know, or you Mm -hmm. got to build something that you didn't think you'd have time for. Like, do you want to just drop that? (laughs) You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I really want to stretch that that space out and would love I could talk about that for hours as well yeah I feel like we're gonna have to revisit this (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for sharing with us today Dr. G I really appreciate it thank you Dr. Joy thank you 
I'm so grateful to Dr. G for joining us for this conversation. To check out Doc's work and the resources shared, visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 203. And don't forget to text two of your girls and tell them to check out the episode as well. Don't forget that if you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the sister circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Dad. 
This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.